Beloved, as we are gathered here for the funeral of Jordan Camp, we wish to sing together a prayer for grace. You can find the words in your program. Seek God's face in prayer. Gracious and almighty God and heavenly Father, Thou who art all wise, all faithful, all loving, all good, 
We bow in thy presence this morning with heavy hearts, with Eric and Brenda, with Levi and Landon and Savannah, with Gary and Linda, with John and Jane, with the great-grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins and family and friends and classmates. In thy inscrutable wisdom, Lord, thou hast taken from us Jordan. This past week, we have wept, we have groaned, and we have rejoiced. The full spectrum of human emotion at the loss of one that we loved. One of us. And Lord, we lift up Eric and Brenda. We lift up Levi, Landon, and Savannah in these moments as we've come to bring Jordan to the grave. Lord, death is unnatural. Even more unnatural is to bring a son and a brother to the grave. But we thank thee, O God, that thou art touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Thou art the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we say this morning, surely, thou hast borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. If the everlasting arms had not been underneath us this week, Lord, we would have sunk away in despair. But thou hast upheld us by thy grace. So grant thy grace once more, Lord, this morning, as we come to hear from thy word, as we come to hear thy voice in the midst of loss, We pray, Lord, for the numerous young people here this morning, the families that have gathered here, for the parents. We pray, Lord, that thy word would find entrance into our hearts, that when we are vulnerable, thy spirit would take thy word and bring it home with power. For thou alone hast the words of eternal life. Thou alone hast the words of comfort and peace, in times of trouble and times of loss. And so we pray for thy presence this morning, Lord. We cry out that when our hearts are overwhelmed, lead us to the rock that is higher than we are. Lead us to the rock that is Christ Jesus, who himself stood at the door of death and groaned and wept who proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life, that we would hear the voice of the Son of God and live. Oh God, work this morning. Work this morning. At this funeral, though it is about Jordan, though it is about the family, would transcend us this morning that we would behold 
thy glory. Help us, O God. Strengthen us as we grieve. Strengthen us as we go to the grave this morning. Help us to see that death does not have the final answer. We can say, O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? It is in Christ Jesus that we have the victory this morning over sin, over hell, and over death. We thank thee, Lord, for thy work in Jordan's life, for the comfort that gives us in these moments. We pray that thou wilt work that same work in the lives of each young person here, that this funeral would not be wasted, that Jordan's death would not be wasted, but that at the end of the day we could say that all of this has fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel for the glory of Jesus Christ. Hear us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll read now from John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We'll read the first 54 verses. Let us hear the word of God. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. 
Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met with him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. And gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one 
the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. May God bless the reading of his holy and infallible and powerful word. We'll sing now the words found in your program, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus.
brother and sister. Levi, Landon, Savannah, John and Jane, Gary and Linda. Great-grandparents, Emmeline, Camp, Martin and Sharon, Zevenbergen, Dina van Grau, uncles and aunts, family and friends. This week has been surreal. The reality of it is still setting in. News of Jordan's death brought our lives to a sudden grinding halt. Suddenly everything was put into perspective as the Lord saw fit to take Jordan from amongst us. The death of Jordan has left a gaping hole in your hearts and in your home. We wept together. That grief, it comes in waves as memories of Jordan flood in. As you face family routines without him, the well-worn paths of waking up at midnight to check his blood sugar. As you care for his personal effects, Jordan was a son of many prayers and many cares. Not just for his diabetes and blood clots, but also for his soul. You spoke often of that. Your desire for him to know the Lord and to live like he knew the Lord. We trust that those prayers for his soul have been answered. It's always a parent's struggle to watch their children grow, to express faith in Jesus Christ, and to long for greater maturity and a settling into more consistent walking before the Lord. But we're thankful for the hope that we have for Jordan's soul. Not because of what Jordan said or what Jordan did, but because our God is a God of infinite mercy and grace. That's where we settle this morning, don't we? It's this God of mercy that has called each one of us this week to consider our lives, to consider our spiritual state before God and our spiritual condition as believers. When a young person dies, and dies suddenly, God is speaking. Are we listening? As you made plans for the funeral, you said the other day you don't want Jordan's death wasted. Young people, it's Eric and Brenda's wish that you would not walk away from Jordan's death this morning untouched, that you would walk away calloused, unmoved, but more importantly, without Christ. It is their desire that you would profit from Jordan's death. The only way they can say that It's because Christ has been undergirding them. Because they know what you need at the very depths of your being. 
life in Christ. And so this morning, we need to consider this question. What does death teach us? What does Jordan's death teach us this morning? And I want to answer that question in the passage we read from John 11, particularly verses 21 through 27, but in the wider context. What does death teach us? Death teaches us that Jordan's death is a pointless tragedy if we end only in questions. In the last several days, I've heard the word tragedy used over and over and over again. What is a tragedy? A tragedy is an event or circumstance that has a bad ending or unfortunate twist. In the world of plays, a tragedy is a play that ends in death. With no hope of the story being resolved apart from death. A tragedy is an event or circumstance that has a bad ending. In, in that sense, Jordan's death is a tragedy. His life had a bad ending. From our perspective, from our limited perspective, Jordan's life was cut short. We have lost someone that we love, someone who was one of us. Someone for whom we prayed. Someone for whom we cared. Jordan was only 18 with his whole life ahead of him, an eager young man to do something with his life. More recently, just sharing with you, I believe it was even Monday that he shared with you what he wanted to do with his life, with more conviction than he had ever shared. And so a young life snuffed out at the age of 18 is a tragedy from our perspective. But Jordan's death is not the end of the story that God is writing this morning. God's story continues beyond the death of Jordan. And so the first lesson that death teaches us this morning is that Jordan's death is a pointless tragedy if we only question the purpose of Jesus in his death. No doubt we've had our questions about Jordan's death. There are feelings, perhaps even of anger and frustration at God for what's happened. Why did God allow this to happen? It even seems unfair that an 18-year-old should die so suddenly. These questions are real. As finite human beings wrestle with the wisdom of an all-knowing and all-wise God. These are real questions, questions that help us grieve. If we recall Job, he asked lots of questions as well. But we should never end in questioning Jesus' purpose in the death of Jordan. If we end in these questions and never submit to God's answers, we will remain angry, we will remain frustrated, we will lose out on God's perspective as to why 
he took Jordan. We'll live in spiritual darkness and futility. And so the why question this morning should lead us to consider what Jesus said at the grave of his friend Lazarus, before he even went to the grave, when he heard that Lazarus was sick. At the front end of this story recorded in Scripture for us, Jesus says these words, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Lazarus' sickness and death would be a pointless tragedy. If Jesus had not stated the purpose as to why Lazarus became sick and as to why Lazarus died, there was a grand overarching purpose behind it that was focused on God and what he was doing through his son. Young friends, that timeless truth stretches right into today to this morning, into the present as we grapple with the why of Jordan's death. For those young men who were there that, that evening as, as they held Jordan and felt the last beats of his heart and now have to deal with what they've seen. For those who knew Jordan and graduated with him five weeks ago, for parents, for family and friends, Here's a timeless truth to help us to begin to answer why. We may not have specific, detailed answers or reasons why God took Jordan. But Jesus' words this morning help us to understand death from God's perspective this morning. It's for His glory, for the glorification of His Son, not Eric and Brenda's Son. Jordan's death would be a pointless tragedy if we only question Jesus' purpose. But if we also only question Jesus' presence or God's presence, that question might run along these lines in these days of of mourning and grief and trying to, to understand where was God when it mattered most? If God was present, surely this wouldn't have happened. God could have kept Jordan God could have kept that door from falling onto him. Perhaps we even question this morning whether God is present at all. Where is God in all of this? Well, Mary and Martha posed a similar question or statement to Jesus as he comes to Bethany, having delayed in coming to Bethany for his own wise and sovereign purposes. Martha says in verse 21, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Mary picks up this refrain and says in verse 32, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. They thought that Jesus had delayed. He had delayed his presence because he was not present to heal Lazarus. It was now a lost cause. Surely, if if Jesus would have been present in Bethany, this wouldn't have happened. Lazarus would have been healed. Surely, that would have been the case. What these words show from Mary and Martha is that so often we think that Jesus is always going to spare us from the things that will hurt or harm us. That he will shield us from sickness, from suffering, and from death. We know that's not true in this case. 
We know that's not true in this past week. God does not shield us from suffering. He delayed himself intentionally in Lazarus' case. But one person called the delays of love so that he might teach Mary and Martha who he was. So let's not end in this question or this what if. But let it bring you and me to consider what Jesus is teaching in these moments. In his tender mercy, Jesus will use this question to teach us the grander story of who he is and what he has come to do for us this morning. Jordan's death would be a pointless tragedy if we asked only this question. Where is Jesus in all of this? Where is God in all of this? His death would be a pointless tragedy if we walked out these doors simply blaming God. This morning, God is here. God is here. He's speaking and He's calling each of you to consider your condition and your state before God and to consider Him as the resurrection and the life. Jordan's death is a pointless tragedy if we only question Jesus' power. The question also arises in times like this, doesn't it? Could God not have saved Jordan? Could God not have prevented the door from falling? What if God had done something different? The what-ifs multiply, even as parents. What if we had done this or done that? Could have prevented it. Perhaps God could have prevented it. Or maybe we dictate to God what he should have done. The crowd gathered at Lazarus' grave also asked this question in verse 37. Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? In one sense, there is a recognition of Jesus' power to heal the blind. But this question, you see, limits the power of Jesus. Jesus is going to demonstrate his power in raising Lazarus from the dead. But this question, too, helps us in the process of grieving. Because it should bring us not to question the limits of the power of Jesus, but the limitlessness should bring us to the limitless power of Jesus as the resurrection and the life. That's central in the death of Lazarus. That's central in Jordan's death this morning too. Jesus would not have you limit his power this morning to raise dead sinners to life, to use Jordan's death in your life to change your heart, to change your mind about who Jesus is as the resurrection and the life. Jordan's death would be a pointless tragedy if it does not make you consider the power of Jesus over sin, over death, and his power to change your dead heart if you are without Christ this morning. So my word to you, young people, is don't let Jordan's death be a pointless tragedy. Don't end in the questions. 
But let these questions bring you to a God who is limitless in His power, in His presence. To change things around for you. Don't walk away with anger and frustration. Don't walk away calloused and full of questions, ending only in the questions. That's not where Christ would have you end this morning. Listen to the words of Jesus as he answers these questions with his infallible and life-giving truth. Jordan's death would be a pointless tragedy if we end only in the why questions, in the what-ifs, in the limiting of Jesus' power. But death teaches us that death is also a purposeful test in the hand of Christ so that we might see the glory of God in Christ. That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 4. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Jordan was taken from us this past week. But we're learning here that it's not first of all about Jordan. Nor was it about his family. Nor was it about you and me as friends. What's at the center of this week? If we have eyes of faith to see it, it is the glory of God. The glory of Christ. Something far greater than death that we are called to consider this morning. The glory of the Son of God. And how does God get glory from the death of Lazarus? By revealing that he is the resurrection and the life. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of the Son of God? In the midst of death this morning, he stands in the gospel and he says, You want life? You want life. It's in me alone. I am the resurrection and the life. That sealed tomb, that closed casket right in front of you this morning tells you, reminds you, preaches to you, calls out to you, shouts out to you this morning, there is no life in man, there is only life in Christ. Life that is lasting and durable for eternity. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He glorifies himself this morning. As he raises Lazarus and he points to his own death and resurrection, which would shortly come. And how does God get glory in the death of Jordan? By sinners taking refuge in Christ Jesus as the resurrection and the life. If you're not sheltering in Jesus for eternal life this morning, If you're not sheltering in Jesus from the wrath of God against sin, you will have failed the test that Jesus is putting to you this morning in the death of Jordan. God is testing you and me. God receives the greater glory when you turn to him for life. 
Don't ask questions. Don't pretend that you were a lost cause for Christ. Get these words into your head this morning. I am the resurrection and the life. Let those words settle into your heart this morning. There is one who gives life for a dead heart, for a dead soul. There are no lost causes for Christ this morning. He receives the greater glory when you come to him for life, saying, Lord, I am dead. Receive me into your life. He is the life. Death doesn't have the final word. Not this morning. calls you to forsake your sins and the certain death that they will bring to you unless you repent. Believe in Christ. Will you pass the test this morning? Will you see the glory of the sun? Will you bring glory to the sun this morning? Will you walk out these doors unmoved? See, death teaches us that it's a purposeful test so that we might believe in Jesus Christ. Not just to see the glory of the Son, but believe in Jesus Christ. That purpose is, is, is woven throughout this narrative. Jesus uses the death of Lazarus to teach lessons for eternity. This is the great purpose of Lazarus' death as well. This is the purpose of Jordan's death this morning, so that you might believe. Verse 15, Jesus says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you might believe. This is my purpose, that you might believe this morning in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. In his wise sovereignty, Jesus delays, not so that Lazarus might live, but that so his disciples might believe. And again in verses 25 and 26, Jesus uses Lazarus' death to point out his purpose again. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Lazarus' death called for a response. A response to Jesus as the resurrection and the life, as the only one who could give life in those moments, in these moments this morning. Jordan's death calls for a response this morning too. My friend, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Believest thou this? That's the purpose of death. For us to examine our hearts this morning, whether you believe this fundamental, vital truth. And not just that truth, but the very person behind the truth. Jesus himself. Verse 42, Jesus continues as he prays to his Father. I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe 
that thou hast sent me. This test comes full circle in verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. They had passed the test. But there were those who walked away and went to the Pharisees, as we read in verse 46. Some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done and plotted to kill Christ. Walked away in unbelief. But those who passed the test, those who believed, received the life. They received Christ. They'd made this this death all about Lazarus, but then they learned that this death was not just about Lazarus. It was about Christ. They believed on him. This is one of the signs of the Gospel of John. John writes in John 20, verse 30 and 31, that these signs are recorded so that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This morning, Jordan's death doesn't point just to Jordan, but to Jesus as the resurrection and the life. So the burning question this morning, the ultimate question, is this. Do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that when you believe in him, you will never die. It's a matter of life and death this morning. Jordan had to die so that you might believe on Jesus, so that you might be faced with this question, that you might be faced with the person of Christ, that you might believe on him and find spiritual life and eternal life in him alone. Jordan's death has brought this into perspective. Do you believe? Are you safe in Jesus for eternity? Death is a purposeful test in order to confess hope in Jesus Christ. Death and suffering and grieving is hopeless insofar as it misses Christ. But Jesus teaches Martha that he needs to be at the center of her grief and the life of faith. When he asks her this question, believest thou this? You see, it's a question for believers too this morning. We are also to renew our confession of hope in the sovereignty of Jesus over death and suffering. It's a challenge for you. It's going to be a challenge for you, Eric and Brenda, in the days ahead. For all those who believe in Jesus this morning, can we still express that hope in the midst of an aching heart, in the midst of the waves of grief that will wash over you periodically? Martha does. In verse 27, she says, Yea, Lord, I believe. The word, therefore, believe is, I most certainly believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Jesus is the life in the midst of death for you. 
He's a sovereign, divine Savior who gives hope in himself, even in the midst of grief. Helps us to see his glory. Helps us to see his purpose. But it helps us to see a Savior that we can cling to because he's holding you, even as he asks this question. Death and suffering tests our faith in Christ. It does. What a beautiful reality to be able to confess who Jesus is as Martha did. He is the Christ, the anointed one sent by God, the Messiah, the one who came to save his people. He is the Son of God. He is divine. He is God himself. He is divine in power and comfort. He is a refuge for those who are grieving. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the hope of his people. And so we say in our grief with Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 10, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so in our grief, it's not about us. It's about Christ who's, who's undergirding, who's strengthening us. We're troubled on every side. Yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so as you grieve, let the life of Jesus be made manifest in your grief. A powerful witness. I certainly believe that thou art the Christ. Finally, death is a powerful teacher that leads to the Savior. Leads to a life-giving Savior. In the face of death, Jesus teaches us that he's the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. These are words that point us to the life that is in Christ this morning. There is no other life to obtain than Christ, than Jesus himself. This is one of his I am statements in scripture. He equates himself as the eternal one. He is the eternal one. The I am that I am that appeared to Moses at the burning bush now stands at the grave of Lazarus, now stands in our midst in the preaching of the word and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Reveals his exclusivity. The I am, unlike any other in this world. Where are you looking for life? In your grief and distress. It's only in Jesus. He that believeth on me, though he were dead. He addresses dead sinners this morning. Calls forth life from the grave of of our own sin. He addresses those who have no life in themselves. He invites and he enfolds into that life graciously by his spirit this morning. This is the gospel that you and I need in these moments to bring us to that which is real life, the life, exclusive life in Jesus. 
Whosoever liveth and believeth, no matter where you are, did you catch that? Whosoever liveth and believeth. No matter who you are, where you have been, or how long you have gone on without Christ, this morning there is life for a, for a look to the crucified one. There is life. Don't delay, but believe on him for your dead soul. He speaks with authority this morning. Just as he stood outside the grave of Lazarus and called forth a dead man, these words that I speak this morning are not my words. They are the words of the great I am, the resurrection and the life. And if he could call a dead man from the grave, he can call you from the grave of your sin this morning to endless life. He speaks with authority. There's no life without him. That's what death teaches. Do you believe this? Death is a powerful teacher that leads to a life-giving Savior, but also to a compassionate Savior. As Jesus reveals himself, he's not untouched by what goes on, what goes on with his three friends. He enters into their situation to reveal himself, but also to identify with his friends in their grief. He loved Lazarus. Martha reminds him of that. The one whom you love. He heard the weeping of those gathered at the grave and he groaned in verse 33. The word groan is a strong word. It can be used of a horse that is snorting in the midst of battle. Or used of people, it's, it's those who snort with suppressed rage or, or indignation. This is a strong reaction from Jesus as he heard the weeping as he stood before the sealed grave. He groaned within himself at the sight of death. He groaned within himself as he, as he understood what death, what sin had brought into the world in terms of death. Death is unnatural. Death is an intruder. Death would be the enemy that Jesus would overcome a few short days after Lazarus' death and resurrection. He groaned. Not a groan of frustration, but a groan of anger. That's sin. He stood at the grave, and he not only groaned, but he wept. He wept. It's okay to weep. It's okay to weep to give vent to the grief that you feel. He wept tears for his friends at their loss. He wept tears at death. He came as the sympathetic high priest, touched with the feelings of, of their infirmities and ours this morning. Death shows a compassionate Savior for the grieving this morning. Eric and Brenda and family, Jesus is a compassionate Savior. He knows the grief you experience right now. He experienced it in his own person to the bitter depths of loss as the substitute for his people. He comes this morning to comfort you with his own presence, with his word. 
so that in your weeping you would see him as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, not just at the grave of Lazarus, but on the very cross on which he hung. It is that cross that he carried and that he was hung upon that identified him as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Because it's our sin that brought him there. Take your grief to him when it seems unbearable. Know that he's carried your grief even to the point of death himself. Death is a powerful teacher that leads us to a sacrificing Savior. In response to the raising of Lazarus, the chief priests and Pharisees seek to kill Jesus. Then Caiaphas prophesies of the death of Jesus in verse 50, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people that the whole nation perish not. John interprets the words of Caiaphas. He says this was a prophecy about the death of Jesus, not only for the nation, but for all those who would trust in him. So Jesus comes. One of the lessons after the death of Lazarus is that he stands as the sacrificing Savior. The one who sacrificed himself so that you might have life this morning. Sinners like you, run to him and find that life in him and his sacrifice so that these words would be true of you. Not for the nation only, but for all those that he should gather together in one, the children of God that were scattered abroad. Don't say, well, I don't know if I'm one of those. But friend, the word of the gospel is to you this morning. Listen. Listen for the sake of your own soul and come. And you say, well, I don't have have this. I don't have the requisite experience. I don't have the requisite knowledge of sin. I don't have this, so I didn't experience that. What's the basis for your entrance into heaven? What's the basis for your coming to Christ this morning? I heard this phrase just this this past week. You come because the man on the middle cross said you can come. He hung there as a sacrifice for sinners to satisfy the wrath of God. He hung there to overcome death, to be laid in the grave, and to rise again. For those who believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life, death does not have the final word. Christ does. But death is teaching us, isn't it? Are you learning? Are you hearing the voice of Christ saying, Come, come forth? Will you learn what Jordan's death is teaching you?
Or will it be a pointless tragedy for you? Will you fail the test? Will you fail to come to the Savior because of your own unbelief? Hear these words once more. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Amen. Let's pray. Glorious God, glorious Son, we pray that thou wilt receive honor and glory from sinners saved. From thy saints strengthened and sustained in days of grief and sorrow. We pray, Lord, that thou wilt continue with the family as we turn to the graveside service. We pray that the message of the open grave, the lowering of the coffin, and the words spoken by Dr. Beakey would be a powerful witness that follows the preaching of the word this morning. Help our brother at graveside. Help the family at graveside. Help each one of us, Lord, that we would not waste this calling that was placed upon us, that we would heed the voice of the Son of God who says, come forth. Lord, we pray in a special way this morning for Justin Sevenbergen and Austin Quaco, his two friends who were with Jordan in his last moments. Lord, as they wrestle through what they've seen and witnessed, we pray that thou wilt remind them that thou hast placed them in that place for such a moment to care lovingly and tenderly for their friend, that through their actions they would see and know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sustain these two young men in particular, and his other close friends and classmates. Lord, let his death not be wasted on them either. We pray that thou wilt be near to us now. Hear us for the sake of thy well-beloved Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. We'll sing Psalter 31, verse 3, 4, and 7. You can... Find those words in the Psalters in front of you. Psalter 31, 3, 4, and 7, and then I'll have a few words on behalf of Eric and Brenda.
of thanks on behalf of Eric and Brenda. So these are their words, not mine. We want to thank our church and school family for their overwhelming support. Jordan's friends for their friendship over the years. And our family, friends, and pastors who have dropped everything to care for us this week. It's impossible to show with words our appreciation for the prayers and Christian love shown to us this week. It's through those prayers that our God and Savior has supplied the humanly impossible strength needed to get through these last few days. Isaiah 43, verse 2. 
When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I'd like to close with the words of the benediction. Receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.